1: Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. This has the potential to be a mammoth episode, so buckle in and enjoy the ride. England have announced their first test squad of the summer. They've also named two new head coaches. Tom Harrison has left the ECB. We've had another round of the county championship. The Charlotte Edwards Cup has kicked off. The IPL is nearing its finale. The Fairbreak Invitational has come to an end. And there's a new Wisden Cricket Monthly that's out now. We'll also be celebrating the life of Andrew Simons, who tragically passed away over the weekend at the age of just 46. I'm Yaz Rana and with me this afternoon is Mark Butcher, the magazine editor of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon, and the editor-in-chief of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker. Let's start with that test squad. It was only a 13-man squad in the end, not the 17 that uh, was reported in the weeks ahead. There were spots for Matty Potts and Harry Brook, Braun in the back. There's no space for Dan Lawrence, Ollie Robinson or Matt Parkinson. Uh, the listeners who've emailed or tweeted in haven't been hugely delighted with the squad. <laughs> Dan asks, who has Parkinson hurt at the ECB? Alfie says, can we have a minute silence for Parkinson on the pod, please? Flag asks, what has Parkinson done to the England selectors? Uh, ben and Ozzy wrote in to say, isn't the squad basically the same that the ones that lost in Australia and the West Indies with the obvious inclusion of Anderson? and broad. Butch, that, that is about right. Uh, we know that fitness permitting, Brooke won't play. Pope will bat at three, best at five. What do you make of that squad, the, the first squad of this brave new era? I warned last week
2: that I didn't think that it would be massively different from things that we've seen before. However, I, I had hoped perhaps that there may be one or two points of difference, um, particularly around the, sort of the top three. And, and what we've ended up with if, um, if the reports are correct, is, is something that I certainly wouldn't have dreamt of, um, even in my wildish, wildest fever dreams um, while suffering from uh, food poisoning in Sri Lanka back in 2002-03. So, um, look, what can I say? It, it, it's uninspiring, to, to say the very least. However, um, what, it, what it does say is it kind of backs up the feeling that the players that have been in and around it for the last... Um, three or four years regardless of what the results have been are are, are the best players around Um, there are arguments obviously they're going to be arguments for a lot of people I mean somebody like Josh Bohannon who actually is a a number three number four batter doesn't get a look in who's got off to another good start Um, one of the few people other than Ollie Pope who averages in the you know 40 plus in the in the first class game Matt Parkinson rightly I mean he's kind of I mean, for, for him, perhaps, you know, June at Lords is just kind of like, it's just, it's just unlikely that he was ever going to get picked. However, um, with, the, with the Brave New World idea that, is, that has been sort of bouncing around, you think, well, the, why the hell not? You know, um, if you can, again, you, you have a, a world-class all-rounder in the side in, in Ben Stokes. You, you're guaranteed to have four um, medium-fast bowlers in the side. You're going to play a spin bowler who, and even if it's Jack Leach, he might not play a massive amount of a part in the game because it is Lord's in June. So why not have the, the, the spin bowler that you are going to pick who might not have a massive part to play, someone who might be able to make something happen over a very short period of time, as opposed to someone that bowl, needs to bowl 60 overs to take a wicket. That's uh, not 60. You know what I mean. No, it is probably about 60, isn't it? In the <laughs> it's about 60 overs per wicket. Now that's being a trifle harsh on Jack Leach. But, but there you go. Um, Matt Potts, brilliant. I've I've spoken to Steve Harmison quite a lot. He's been sort of tracking him for for a long old time. There's not much that happens up in the northeast that Harmy doesn't know about. Um, And and he says that that there's a real something about Matt Potts, not only in terms of he's got accuracy. He's not lightning quick, but he's quicker than than sort of like the, the other guys in the squad doesn't tend to, to tire, doesn't flag, you know, comes in as hard last, last ball as he does at first and makes the ball bounce, you know, really gets some steepling bounce like a like a young Stuart Broad. So, um, you know, that's that's welcome news for those who think that, that county performances should translate into test match pickups. But, but other than that, not a massive amount to shout about. I mean, just, sorry, I, and I, forgive me for a bit of a, a monologue here, but, but backing up and, and trying to show some consistency with things that I've said in the past... I figured that what might happen, because I couldn't see Zach Crawley being dropped yeah, for, for lots of for, for lots of reasons. Um, I, I would have at this point perhaps thought he's not scored any runs when everybody else you know Daniel Bell Drummond goodness knows however else are outscoring him by the by the thousand in the the, for Kent at the moment and on the same pitches he's not making any that you know sometimes you just have to say look we we appreciate that there's a long way that this guy has got the big big old ceiling but let's pull him out of the firing line but that's not happened and under those circumstances where he wasn't going to get dropped I would have said put him back to number three I've always said that I think he's, a, he's more of a natural three than he is an opener. And I would have, would have taken the opportunity to perhaps to have brought in a Sam Robson, one of the older, older players who's had a taste before, who is a little bit more um, experienced in terms of their, their world of experience of, of, uh, of first class um, batting, has that little bit more um, of an understanding of what is going on under his belt and perhaps would have been able to make a real go of it second time round. And that's what I would have done. Given that that Crawley was was uh, was was always going to be included, given the man who's now in charge. So, um, but but none of those things have happened, and you've pretty much ended up with as, as our Australian friend said, pretty much the same two teams. You got hammered all winter. There yeah, I
1: mean, Joe, it's a it's a especially the in the batting department. They're quite easy to pick holes in some of the selections. I mean, Crawley averages less than twenty five from thirteen tests as an opener. Ollie Pope has never batted three in first class cricket besto averages 28 from 24 test matches, batting at number five. He's never scored at 100 there. But you can also see how they've ended up with it. besto scored two hundreds in his last four or five test matches. Uh, Folks is averaging about 100 in the county championship at the moment. Crawley's got two scores in his last few games. And Ollie Pope is very, very good in county cricket. You want him to succeed in test cricket. And number three is the only spot. So you can see how they've ended up there, even if it isn't hugely inspiring. Yeah, we
3: did kind of forecast this. Last week, and that's why I felt that Ben folks who would be unlucky to miss out should miss out because it opened would then open the doors of Harry Brook to bat at five, and Besto could keep wicket. And I don't think you can drop Berto based on the fact that he's got a couple of hundreds recently. But and the result is this kind of underwhelming shrug, really. And that was definitely the feeling on our WhatsApp group this morning as the squad came in. And, and I can understand the frustration of of England fans who have you got a WhatsApp group? <laughs>
2: Unbelievable. <laughs> we'll invite you, Butch. We'll invite you in. <laughs>
3: But this this idea that this is kind of new, bold England and, and it's and it's the so, same old names and, and the changes that have been made do look a bit bizarre. But I guess we have to go back to what Stokes and Key have been saying right from their appointments that they are picking the best side. They're not worried about what people think about the squad, about giving people chances. They're just picking what the best team is. And you can debate whether they've come up with that or not. But they have identified Pope and Crawley as as the best talents to continue with and you know there are stories that you can pick out any name steve warden' didn't score a test 100 for twenty twenty-seven matches that, that if you think they're good enough then i think you do have to have the courage of your convictions and, and keep going with them but you've got to hope you're right because and i, I would say pope and crawley are, are different cases i think as well that you know pope you watch him in county cricket and he, he, just, he just is good enough. We, we just know he's good enough. Crawley is much more based on potential, an extraordinary knock against Pakistan. And also, let's remember, a Test 100 three games ago. So he might not be scoring a run for Kent, which is desperately really concerning, given the fact that everyone else is racking them up. But if we are going on any kind of test form whatsoever, again, it would have seemed a bit harsh to drop him at this stage. So that. As I said, I would have tried to get Harry Brooke in that eleven rather than just the squad. Um but I can't pick holes too much in in what else they've done other than I would have liked to see a, a specialist number three in there and see Pope bat a three for Surrey and then go into that role having it had a bit of kind of acclimatisation. Um as it is, you're putting someone up the order who has really struggled and, and you leave yourself very open to criticism if he gets a couple of low scores.
1: Phil, did you shrug when you saw the list of names that were selected?
3: Yeah, I did a bit, (laughs) to say the least.
0: I thought there'd be more, and therefore more talking points, and therefore a bit more We've got enough of them, don't worry. Uh, That said, it's probably good that it's been clarified that this this will be the the 12, at least, and that we know now who's going to be batting in the top seven. I remember when Langer said before the Ashes that Harris is my opening bat, I don't care how many runs he scores in in domestic cricket. Admittedly, he was dropped after two tests. But the point is, it probably will help Crawley to know he's definitely in it will help Pope to know right shit I'm batting three that will help it's probably useful to know that Bairstow irrespective of what happens for the last few days in the IPL and whether he even manages to jump on a plane to even play a Red Bull game he bats five I don't agree with that as I said last week but at least there's some clarity there so that they all know what's happening folks knows that he's going to play so that's probably a positive thing overall um in terms of the makeup of it all well, I, I have the same sort of overwhelming sense of underwhelmment that everybody else does, really. That said, you can't probably, for the first Test match of, a, of quite a key summer for them, really, when your coach is literally not even in the country. He was one of the selection panel, Brendan McCullum. I'm not sure how up to date he is with Josh Josh Bannon's form at the oh, moment. I mean, he
2: said he said he he wasn't at all. You know, yeah. he was basically yeah. on the Zoom call, nodding away and N- nodding and away, going, saying, "Okay, okay, okay well, yeah. y-
0: you wait though, but you wait until I come round, and then once he gets his feet under the table, then you will see an involvement of this side." Uh, look, the, the the Pope at three thing is premature and slightly counterproductive because he's not gone well for England for the last twelve months, but if he is recognized as technically the most proficient young player in the country and a player that so much truck is put put on then. And many good judges have said that they see him as a three. Eventually once Stokes decided questionably to, for my money, Joe, you go back to four. Then you look at Pope and you think he is still the, the, the most promising player out there. There's been glimpses still nonetheless. And if, if those the four, five, six, are, those slots are taken up, then where do you go? Where do you go with him?
3: He's also said before uh, that he's very keen on the number three role. He he fancies it, which makes yeah. it even more odd yeah. that he hasn't he done said it that in to county us, cricket. Actually, yeah, as well, yeah. On on three, because we, I mean, we talk about batting positions quite a lot, perhaps more than we should do on this podcast. But how specialist a role is number three, and and does it matter that much that he hasn't done it before? Um,
2: well, I mean, I. I Obviously, I started my career as an, as an opener. Actually, I didn't. I started my career as a number seven who bowled. But I, but as an opener um, who would bat at three occasionally when Alec was not playing test match cricket. So he, he would open the batting with Darren Bicknell maybe and I'd, I'd drop down at number three. And I always re- enjoyed number three more than number one. Maybe out of laziness. I had a bit longer to have a shower in between having to come off and change my, change my gear, have a cigarette break or something back in the nasty old days when I smoked. Um and so, for me, it just seemed like a natural. It, it, you needed the same kind of attributes as an opener did in terms of you know knowing where your off stump is and being able to good judge of the, the, the moving ball because you could be in in the first over, but you also needed to be able to to, to, to push things along and, and be able to play to the situation of the game. Should uh, should should the pitch and the conditions turn out to be ones that were that, that required score you know shot making, um, and that that's basically the position. Now. Ollie Pope's issue is, is certainly not shot-making. His, his issue has been staying in long enough to play on. Um, and so therefore, so, so, therefore, he's... You know, I, my grounding was in opening the batting. His grounding is in batting at five and coming out and playing pretty shots when the
1: ball's old. Do you know what I mean? Well, Rob Key today said, he was asked on, on this exactly, and he used the example of Jonathan Trott, who uh, batted at four for Warwickshire and then moved up to three for England, and that worked out. But they're two completely different players, Right, I mean, just because they both had batted in the middle order doesn't mean that w- they're well, equally say say suited to move For example, back. Graham yeah. thought
2: Graham thought as, as fabulous a player as he is, and and um, thought's very much with um, his family and friends and the, and the whole um, sort of Surrey and, and England family about, about Graham's situation at the moment. But he knew he preferred, he much preferred to bat at number five as a Test match. Player. He was a brilliant player of spin. He was also a brilliant player of the quicks. But he liked having the buffer between him and the new ball that he got batting at number 5 and that allowed him to be the the, the, the player that he that he was best um you know if Ollie, if Ollie Pope is going to become a successful number 3 then he's going to you know then then he will then we'll get something amazing won't we we'll get a kid who who has the ability to go out there and, and blaze it to all parts and be a thoroughly modern run maker um you know but he'll also have to to earn the right to do so by being able to stay in when the ball's new um you know you got Southie and Bolton, people like that, who are going to test every inch of that technique if the ball does a little bit. So, listen, it's, it's an incredible opportunity for him. One that I think a lot of listeners might think that he probably doesn't deserve right now. And he might even think that himself. But I suppose, that you know, he could go into it looking at it like, I mean, decent nick been making runs in the championship, I've been given another chance, I know what I've got exactly, he knows what he's got to do, he's been offered, you know, that he's been told with with good time in advance to prepare for it, and if it goes well, then brilliant, we've all got a Brucey bonus. I just wondered, what's, as, what's, Sorry
3: Joe, so I was going to say as well, I mean, part of the issues he seems to have in the test game is there is this build-up of nervous tension, you see that in the way he plays, I just wondered if, there's a bit of kind of COD psychology here, but whether actually coming in at three, not having to wait so long, you can just—I mean, especially with England's openers, will be in pretty quickly probably. Just get out there and do it, rather than sitting there and, and thinking about it for too long. Is, yeah, is potentially. There any, is there anything potentially? In that?
2: But he, but you know, he, he's kind of done that. His entire career has been based around sitting around watching other people bat. Well, I know, I something know that. I know England seems
3: to do something. I know the to tension
2: him. is very different in terms of waiting to go in a Test match, but it isn't. You know, if you're used to waiting to go in, then waiting to go in shouldn't be the cause of your. Of your jitteriness,
0: and just going back to the the not the obsession, but our, our concern about players' rightful positions and so on, and it's a legitimate conversation, of course, but I, I think other countries are less concerned by it Pakistan, for example, you know as a young player, you bat three if you come into the side of Pakistan, you don't bat six, which is the more conventional way of doing it um in the end with with Pope. They think that he's one of the four best middle-order players in, in the country. So do I, for what it's worth, which isn't very much. So do you move your fully established players into the positions that they would less like to bat, thus shaving some of their effectiveness in theory, and then blood the young lad in his plum position? Or do you say to the young lad, you might have to suck a few up here, but once, if you can establish yourself, average th- somewhere around thirty or a couple of good knocks this summer across six Test matches at three, then we can see how that how it develops from there. One doesn't need to expect Pope to turn up and then nail down that position. Be the new Jonathan Trot. Be be the new Ricky Ponting. It could be that he he acts as the as the the, the greenhorn player. You
2: know. Yeah. No, and I I, I totally agree with that. But the, I guess the only thing is is that you it's okay if you're making those calls from a position of strength. When you're making them from a position of weakness, it kind of it puts everybody under a lot more pressure. And that's the you know that's the difficult thing. If he was if he was coming into a side where you know yeah the the, the other five batters around him well, were all is were all batting were all averaging mid mid forties or whatever. C- come, come in behind then you, S- then you cook co- and Strauss. then go where you like. Come in behind Cook and
0: Strauss and you say he's a really nice option, which, which is kind as a of fresh face number three. Which is
2: why the conversation is valid because you're, because you're thinking to yourself well you, you what you're tr- what we're trying to do is get runs out of a, out of a unit of six. Now not all of them are going to score right. <laughs> this is the other bizarre thing oh, so-and-so needs to be dropped, but we keep making 400. Yeah, but he's having a shocker. Yeah, but there's a unit, the batting unit are making lots of runs and we're winning games. Great, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> if the batting unit is getting bowled out for less than 200 all of the time and guys are batting out of their position, it, it kind of offers everybody an excuse, doesn't it? And there is a word um, that somebody like Brendan McCullum and somebody like Rob Key will be will be very interested to hear because that would be one thing that they'll be turning around to them all and saying, look, You've had COVID. You've had all of these things to hide behind, not, which is not to say that they weren't terrible and the bubbles weren't bad. But there's been all of these excuses laid out at your door, which you can kind of turn around and go, well, we, we didn't do this great because. We didn't do that great because. Ollie Pope might be able to turn around and go, I didn't, I didn't get any runs because I was batting at three and it should have been number five. The first thing that, that these two blokes will be doing at the moment is going, you're doing what you're doing. Go out there and make it work. No excuses. This is your, this is your shot. Go and take it, and and that may be a, a, a difference in mindset that might help all of them, not just Ollie Pope, but number
0: three. Taking it further, further down the line, down the line up, um, Obviously, Sean of all kinds of options in the in the pace bowling department. Um, and so I have, you know, general sympathy for for the selectors in that regard. Um, it, people will say, you know, Overton again. But then,
1: yeah, we had quite a few questions on. Yeah, on Craig but, but then,
0: then Craig Overton's his record is, very effectively this year so far. Played unbelievable a record, record again. Yeah, this yes, this <laughs> it prominent role in England's last actual Test match win, all the way back in last summer. So. I can understand that, especially with the absence of Ollie Robinson, who Rob Key said you were on the call today with the the journalist, and he said well, he's only bowled fifty odd overs this year, so he can't be considered. He's not got the overs in the tank. That's fair enough, I think. Obviously, a whole lit- 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 litany of injuries, so I have less um, frustration uh, with the selectors when it comes to the to the bowling attack. Obviously, the Parkinson thing is is a is a is a personal bugbear that's shared around this table. Yeah. But but again, he's become this kind of cause celebre figure, if you like, on social media. Uh, I think Mark's point is fair, by the way. I think you have to look at it in the context of the start of a summer at Lords with a lush outfield and all of that. How much is he going to come in and play? He also has, of course, the, the overwhelming weight of history against him as well. And they may well just turn around and say pragmatically, look he doesn't come into our thinking yet.
1: And he doesn't need to carry drinks again. And I can I can kind of understand that. It
0: frustrates me, but I can kind of understand it. I think we will get a better sense of what they really think about Parkinson in the so-called new era, which looks rather like the last one. I think we'll know by the end of the summer rather than the start. So don't get me wrong, I really wanted to see the bloke's name in there, but I can understand why he wasn't. Yeah, and, and also... And Leach took eight wickets Le- last Leach, week as yeah, well. Yeah, Le- Leach, Leach well. took
1: wickets last week. I think Parkinson should 100% have played in the Caribbean. Uh, but I also don't think he's. I mean, this season his his strike rate isn't actually that low. Uh, he's been bowling really long spells and he's been taking three for seventy quite a lot. Uh, I'm I'm not sure he is well, quite a bowler uh, who's. You take that in five day cricket 100 percent, hundred percent. But, but this that's idea also that the
2: thing that people said he couldn't do. Yeah, So we know that he can he can bowl the crackage jack deliveries. He's now proving that he's got a little bit more than that in terms of being able to hold and be able to bowl. Mm. Tightly, indeed, not always, but so yeah. you know, so he's becoming a more rounded cricketer, and uh, and as is always the way, in, in particularly when it comes to the dark arts of things like leg spin and, and attacking batters and whatever it might be. Um, sorry, the attacking batters thing was from my era, not now. Uh, the, it, it takes a little while, doesn't it? You know, it takes a little while before people can form the trust to go, actually, you know what, we're gonna throw this guy in, and that might in the end be something that works in his favor. He might not like it at the moment, but it might in the end be something that works in his favor. I'm just
1: worried that he doesn't play this summer, plays in Pakistan on really really flat wickets well, where Hey, Mitchell listen, if he doesn't play this summer f- then we
2: we'll, then we'll we'll give him pelters, all right? <laughs> we, we can make a deal on that. But I, I, now I I don't I'm not I'm not wildly wildly amused by it, but I but I can completely understand
0: it. spoke to my mate Saturday night at do, a big big cricket fan follows it as closely as we do, but pragmatic and no bullshit and he said Parkinson won't be picked not for this test match, no chance. I said, yeah, yeah, but he said, no, no, you won't be picked. Of course you won't. Why would they pick him for Lords? Why would they pick him up now and potentially set him back? And I tried to scrap it out, but, you know, as ever, my boy Batchy's been proved right.
1: On Craig Overton as well, I think he has actually done Okay for England. I think he gets a bit of a hard ride because he's and not. And particularly... he's had a
2: belting start to the summer as well, isn't he? He's, he's taken pretty, his wickets at 14 or something. He, he's
1: paid. And he... put it, if all of the other
2: names were fair, he wouldn't get anywhere near. But we are where we are. We're like seven seven bowlers who would normally be in front of him and not available to be picked.
1: And, and also, he's a bowler with an amazing county record who actually hasn't played that many home test matches. I think he's only played a couple of home test matches. It's more just paid the line, was...
3: up, line up of the attack. If it is going to be Anderson Broad, Overton. Leach feels quite the same I and mean, Jamie Overton who we've seen quite a lot of Surrey this year is bowling genuinely quick well, uh, I- he hasn't he hasn't taken the his record isn't as good as Craig's, but he looks more like what England might need at this point, given the players that are out. I and that, that, that's as I it. says,
2: as I says, he's just not quite ready yet. He's kind of he's bowling quickly and he's 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 getting there, but these they've had to do a lot of work to get him to from a position where he was bowling chest high full tosses every time he ran up. So yeah. so now is probably you know is a month maybe too too soon for him. But yeah, I I, I totally agree with you. But he's just. You know, as a, as a being a being Pakistani fella, he's quite keen to kind of throw people in if he thinks they're ready. He's just told yours. Is to to, to, to give
0: them a bit of credit, right? You know, they have brought back the big two, so you know straight away that's that's I a. Mean, they didn't really call. have many options. Look, right gonna, now. it's going to be a point. carnival. <laughs> Come, lords, in a couple of weeks' time, just to see those two back in. They're strutting. strutting through the long room and look they've brought back they've brought through a brilliant young quick in pots and they've they've blooded at least in the squad arguably the most exciting young young batter in, batter in the game so, so look you
3: you've talked yourself aroundn't have you from no, your struggle I, on the shoulders it, 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 as, ever, as ever
0: as ever there's shades of grey in all of this nonsense it,
2: also it? on the consistency i think grey is the problem isn't it <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> i think that that's the that's the real the yeah, real right. upset for all of the yeah. all of the listeners and for the fans is and and uh, you know i i know it since since having crossed the line and uh, uh, being in the media, it's just more exciting to have new people to talk about. Indeed, but I, I think I think I nailed it last week and say I didn't think there was going to be that many new things to talk yeah. about, yeah, you
0: and did. there haven't been. Are, are we ha- are we happy with uh, with Lee's? By the way, to carry on, is, is that
1: fair? Would you say? I think it's sim- I think it's similar to uh, a lot of the players in that I don't think they could complain hugely if a new coach wanted to change things, but. I think he did four out of ten in West Indies and then has had a very good start to the summer. If he'd have had pond. the
3: starts of the summer that Crawley's had, there's no chance of yeah. being yeah. Anywhere near yeah. that, yeah. that none, squad. None yeah, none whatsoever. Uh, yeah. But given that he's got a couple of hundreds, couple of bit, one really big hundred as well, it, it, feel, it would feel harsh to drop him. I, I do think Robson, it, there's, you can feel with these players, you can feel when there's a bit of a bandwagon driving into gear and that feels that's, that's the way of Robson. And, and the tons he's got have been impressive against a good knots attack. Uh, just just in the round of games gone. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him again this summer.
1: Oh, I thought one one player you mentioned last week, Dow Milan I think reasonably lucky not to yeah, not to play. Agreed. Um
2: yeah, I mean so you could have solved the number three thing in, in in a couple of ways, couldn't you? And again, you know, without going over the crawley stuff again. That one was for him to drop down and to to replace him with an experienced opener. Or one was to pick an experienced number number three in Darren in Milan and they, they chose chosen to do neither. Um and, and let's not you know Rob Key's been very, very keen to point out that he wants to win the next Test match. Now, whether or not this team is going to go out and win that next Test match, but he's picking a team that he thinks are the best players to go and win that Test. He's not saying I'm picking this team because seven months down the line they're going to be absolutely unbelievable. He's saying let's let's win the first Test at Lords against New Zealand. and These are the players, um, albeit he's not the, the sole selector. Um, that give us the best chance of doing that. And, and the proof will be in the pudding at that, won't they?
1: On the, on the consistency in, in selection, uh, a, a few of the people who are part of the selection committee haven't actually changed. So Mo Boba and James Taylor is, are still there. So a lot of people have left the ECB recently, but those two guys are still there. So I guess it's not a huge surprise that they're not suddenly recommending a completely different group of players.
0: Well, well yeah, the, the, the national selector appointment will be key, I think, mm. yeah. <laughs> that, that was not key. Key will be making a key he's got enough on his plate. I think for the time being, <laughs> hasn't he?
3: Well,
1: he's, he said as much. He said but it's a full-time he role. It's, it's, it's a, he said it's a full-time role, yeah. and it needs filling. Yeah. Also, on, on
3: that, Stokes was on the selection panel for the West Indies tour as well. So again, this is not a massive departure. We've got a new captain, but he's not come from nowhere. He has been part of that group.
0: I, 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 I think that look the most interesting thing in the end will be how they play over over those two Test matches, and how Stokes chooses to to captain on the, on the field and what kind of approaches they have when the game is partway through days, three days, four, what kind of attitude do they take on? That will, that will be when you start to see what this team looks like as much as the personnel.
2: Don't, uh, don't underestimate the fact that Ben has, you know, obviously Ben Stokes is, is, is a voice now on the, on the selection panel. And I know for a fact that there are certain, there are certain players around the place that he really likes the look of, um, you know, Haynes, for example, Chris Dent of Gloucestershire. There are players around around the place who are not getting a mention at the moment, in, in not in this show, but not in dispatches, not being mentioned in squads that Ben Stokes has seen around the traps and, and likes. So, you know, at, at the moment, as much as we see all you know, the f- a fresh broom coming in and, and all these new names appearing, nobody has got their feet under the table enough to be able to turn around and go, Okay, this is this is exactly what's gonna happen and these are the, the decisions that I'm gonna make. And none of that is made easier by the fact that there is not there is not a selector yet. Nobody feels as though they have the, the, the um the, the enough power to kind of pull the trigger on people's careers or to set, set new people off on careers. So it's not really a surprise that we haven't seen So it's a bit of a holding a mass- pattern. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well,
1: not- Oh, just just on that, um, well, Brendan McCullum was, was named as a new test head coach this week. Kind of came out of nowhere. It wasn't really being talked about that much until a couple of days before the appointment. Before I ask your opinion on the appointment, there's a very good interview with McCullum a couple of years ago. I think it was during the first lockdown on the broadcaster Matt Floyd's all-out podcast where he talked about his coaching philosophy at KKR. Obviously, he's not been coaching for that long. McCullum said, I don't want them to play my game or someone else's game. I want them to play the game that gives them the most satisfaction. I think, as a coach, the ability to give that freedom to those guys and also support them at the selection table, give them a little bit more rope than what they're used to, can allow guys to really start to excel and perform. On his first season at Kolkata, which I think is relevant to this summer, the first season with Kolkata was very much a matter of trying to get my feet under the desk and understand what skill set we had amongst the squad because I really didn't know the guys. It was a matter of trying to get a few pieces of the puzzle in the right place and trying to keep morale high and then observe at some areas where we thought we might be able to then start to put some changes in place. So with that context, it kind of makes sense that McCollum's not asking for wholesale changes at this point. Um, and then he, he,
0: he, said, he said to Joe in... 2017, I think. Yeah, in the in the pub. He interviewed him. Uh, came back buzzing, didn't you? I remember that. that <laughs> it was lovely. great. I, cons- oh, I can certainly dear. see how Two he nailed it. <laughs> he actually <laughs> loved it. Sorry, I've got a quote, though. I've got a quote from the interview, which which backs up that point. Um, uh, 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 the fun's what it's all about. That's why you got into the game. Only because the stakes go up do people lose sight of that. The pressures that you come under make you change as a bloke. Not only how you play the game, but also how you are as a person.
3: There's no need for it. So just get back to playing the game because it's fun. See, that sounds great, and that's hard to argue with. But it was all about, is he the right man for the job? Mark Rampicash wrote an interesting column for The Guardian in which he kind of questioned whether he had the the CV to, 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 to warrant that role, basically. And Phil, I mean, you've said quite clearly that you thought Gary Kirsten would be a great appointment. You've said... That England needed a kind of batting specialist to sort out those issues. Now you know, He's got McC- to sharpen up his interview technique. I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> McCullum <laughs> McCullum scored a fair few Test runs. In, in, in fairness, He's, He it was a pretty decent bat, but he he does not fill that criteria that, that you identified as what the England coach should be. But have you, have you just got caught up in the excitement of all, or have you changed your view? Of I, I, what- I
0: think I think all right. It, it, there is. There is a sort of hard boiled batting specialist element that we were that I was looking for in a coach, a Duncan Fletcher-esque appointment. But there's also the question of authenticity, I think. And that's what McCullum has in 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 a bundle and more, right? And and this notion as well that he was a bit of a kind of fly by night, uh bit of a maverick outlier. As Andrew Miller wrote on Crick Info recently, you know, aside from 103 Test matches, 6,000 Test runs, turning a team into World Cup runners-up, and making the, the fastest Test match hundred of all time, apart from all of that, what's Brendon McCullum ever done for international cricket? And it's a good line. It's a good point. Yeah, you know, this is this is for all of his, uh, you know, freewheeling excitement in the in the way that he approached white ball cricket. This is still one of the real heavy hitters of our time. And so... I can't I, believe he wanted I, it. Sorry?
1: I can't believe he wanted it. Oh, I can. Really? Yes, he's yeah, the England
2: compl- I completely
1: can believe he wanted but it. this is such yeah. a difficult, Listen, such I, you know a difficult what, job. a great
2: gig. i tell you something that, something that Baz is going to bring, and it's going to be something that, that will, will benefit nobody except for those inside the dressing room, right? It, it, Brendan McCullum does not do things for, 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 the, for, the, for, the, for the clicks, okay? I spent a bit of time with him when he was coaching the Trimbago Knight Riders. Um, very successful in the CPL. And what Baz does, and, it, and it's evidenced in in the quote that you, that you read out just before, what he does is he gets into his he gets into the minds and into the psyche of his players, and he gets them. His his only interest is to make them be the very very best version of themselves that they can be on the field and off it, right? And in doing so, he empowers them to think for themselves, to work hard for themselves and for one another. And, the, and eventually what you end up with is a culture of where, where these guys are driving themselves on by, by the love and the fun of, of the game and the fun of doing it. That This is what he does. He's not a coach. He gets in there and he brings, brings people together and he tries to make, you know, he will make If he gets any time with him, he will make Olly Pope a very, very, very successful England player because his job is to get the best, to draw the greatness that we can all see out of Olly Pope, the thing that's been hiding in there. That's what he will do. Now, you could argue that what England need is something that goes back to something more basic than that. He's not, he's not, like, he's not like he's working with a, with a bunch of, you know, fellows who have played a lot of cricket who are all fabulously talented but somehow don't get along and can't make it work on the field. That's not what he's got. What he's got is a lot of people who are very, very unproven with the exception of, of two or three. three. Um, and he's trying to sort of teach them the ropes and then bring the greatness out of them as well. So you could argue that maybe he's one step prior to where, he, where you might give a job to somebody like that. However... And this is in support, perhaps, of of Rob Key's split coaching and his, his mantra I've seen again I've seen him on the TV today he's talking about he said well we don't need less coaches we need more we what we want to do is we want to bring in our hard-baked batting specialists to work with our batters and we want to bring you know which you could argue has always happened but what he's saying is that he wants to have two separate groups of them working with both teams you don't have people flitting around you might miss one guy one week and catch him the next you have two completely separate teams that were kind of working on all of these areas these specialized areas in the midst of a guy who is you know being totemic in in terms of, like, inspiring these people to be as good as they possibly can. And all of that sounds unbelievable, doesn't it? Sounds, you know, I'm inspired now. I'm kind of like, yes, come on, strap them on. Um, but that's what he does. That That is what he does. And as I said, that's not going to be something that people that people reading, listening to the podcast or watching the television are going to get any benefit out of, I'm afraid. That's all for the blokes in the in the side. And, and the benefit that we will get is hopefully by a team that starts to, to win test matches and look like it knows what it's, up, what it's all it, about. It, it's,
0: exactly that it it seemed that a sort of somber timidity if you like had taken over the england side in the last days of of chris silverwood um and and joe root's era but silverwood in particular and it is not a slight on him but the job was a big job and it was a double job for him and it was a covid job on top of it all but it felt like any spirit had been sucked out of it by that point um McCullum is not the, quote, gnarly old bastard that I sort of tongue-in-cheek wrote about that time. But he is nobody's fool. And he will look everybody in the eye and he will do all the things that that Mark has outlined because he uh, commands that kind of undiluted respect across the game. Um, As I say, he's sincere. He's authentic. Everything he's done in the game... From the time he made ninety-seven in a run a run a ball in a Lord's Test match about fifteen twenty years ago that I happened to be at and watched, and I thought, Jesus Christ, what's he doing? Who, who is this lad? Everything he's done has always been. You can understand the the logic behind it, and you can understand the the, the reasoning behind it. Um, and so, from a, so much of look, you know, sport dressing rooms, so much of it is being able to hold your place within it. And I think there were, there were maybe elements of the last regime where people were unsure of their place within it. And I think they went all the way up to the top. I don't think McCullum is going to take a deep breath. He might, a small one, maybe, before he walks through that door. And by sheer dint of personality, strength of personality, I think it will very soon become his domain, his team. And I don't think he'll make any compromises at all. So in that respect, it's not that different from the, the vision that I hoped for. When we were scrabbling around six months ago, trying
3: desperately to kind of re redevelop some sort of identity for this team, but if there was any doubt that Joe Root had a raw deal, you know, oh mate, I thought this last week as Test captain. What a time to get it for all the reasons we talked about endlessly. But now that the the energy around the team, he's got Stokes, gets McCullum and Key, and we had Giles and Silverwood. And I don't mean to be harsh, but (laughs) it's (laughs) you
0: don't have to explain any further.
3: I'll leave it there. I'll leave it there then. But, you but know,
0: meanwhile, his erstwhile teammate over there.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is one for the
1: YouTube viewers.
0: <laughs> Beautifully done, Joe. Beautifully done.
1: Brendan McCullum wasn't the only new England men's head coach this week. Matthew Mott has All been appointed the as the new men's white ball coach. He moves from the Australia women's side, who have won the last three global tournaments and recently completed a world record winning streak of 26 ODI wins in a row. Uh, it's a similar job, I guess, to what he had inherited with Australia. They're the best team in the world who had players who needed moving on in the not so distant future. He's got a four-year contract he made the Australia team it was already very good better uh, we'll talk more about him and the white ball team when we're closer to the Netherlands ODI series that takes place during the New Zealand test series
3: just like just crucially though on that as well that he is he's worked with McCullum in the past at Kalkala KKR Res. yeah and we talked before about the split coaches and the issues with that and how there had to be this close connection. That's obviously been a key priority in, in his appointment and would seem to make a lot of sense.
1: Phil, it was announced this week that Tom Harris's departure from the ECB is imminent. Uh, how does this news make you feel?
0: Uh, it, was always, it was a long time coming. Uh, it was well known that he was preparing the path to leave from a few months back. Oh, look! It's it's a difficult one. I I don't I don't know him at all personally, right? So I don't have any any skin in the game when it comes to to Harrison as a as a as a bloke as a person. Uh, I don't also enjoy the open season on an individual, uh, albeit you know a well paid individual, albeit an individual who will forever be tainted and tarnished by taking that money out of the game at a point where it was on its knees financially, and I don't care if that was contractually bound or not. That, to me, is not a concern. People were thinking on their feet. 60 people were made redundant. Everyone took a pay cut at the ECB to keep, as they said, a show on the road. That will always be there. That will always be a very dark black mark against his against his tenure. But I also don't just... I don't like the tone at which the book is thrown at... at, the man Um, uh, I think I think he was a is and a true devotee of the game you know a a professional player and a recreational player and somebody steeped in the game I don't think that he was simply an identikit suit you know placed into that role with a view to try to, to to work on the money side of it and nothing else that said the 20 odd years that he spent in sports agency and so on and sports rights in the the interregnum between moving from playing to to cricket administration possibly tip the dial too much towards commercial interests at the expense of maybe the soul of the game. Um, And I think the perfect example has to be what I've just discussed, what I've just mentioned, which I wrote about at the time. I'm not, believe it or not, when I when i get my head down on this stuff i am i do try and find the the balance in it but that particular issue i just found to be so so abhorrent, really and so obviously against the spirit of the times uh but look there there are there are pros in in the ledger column just as there are undoubtedly cons in the ledger column um and you know what under his tenure what what what's happened to women's cricket deserves a lot of credit obviously no, none of this is Entirely at his door, just like none of the negative stuff is entirely at his door. Uh, But there's been a true revolution in women's cricket that deserves a lot of credit. Um, 2017 happened under his tenure. 2019 happened under Owen Morgan. Um, He made sure that he was a part of that as well. There was a laudable uh, set of appointments made under his watch. But then as everything in cricket, there's push and pull, because what we saw after 2019 was the sudden... Uh, evaporation of 50 over cricket as we find that four doesn't really go into three when it comes to four different formats uh the the, the hundred will always be our brexit and he he got it done uh <laughs> and has to face the consequences of that in terms of the court of public opinion.
3: And this is it, and his, his legacy is still for grabs, really, because his, his role absolutely was absolutely so interwoven with the 100 that, I mean, obviously people have made up their minds whether they like it or not, but what we don't know is whether it will achieve its ambitions and what impact that will have on the game. That's how he'll be remembered. He, he put it all on the 100, and we still don't know the result of that.
2: No, we won't, and we won't know the result of that for a very, very long time, because, because the, the, the shockwaves aren't going to stop reverberating until at some at, at such a time as something gives and it's gonna it's yeah. going to it, there's no way that, that things can continue the way they are at the moment and if you and if you take it from the point of view that the hundred is the one that is here to stay beyond beyond everything else then something else is going to go and all of that will, will event will go back to you know his his it's not obituary, is it? But his, his, um, you know, his legacy as, as, as the CEO will always go back to that point. And so therefore, until such a time as we know how the 100 and its, and its aftershocks have played out, it, his is still open. You know, it's, it's, still not, it, it's still to be written, isn't it?
0: Indeed. The 100s, the, the, the as I've said before, the gestation of the 100 came about because they had cr- crunched the numbers and studied the data. It's a very data-driven organisation anyway, the ECB, increasingly so. Um, and of course, it's driven in large part by the bottom line, and the bottom line is influenced by the number of people who are actually into the game. And they saw the impact uh, of years of neglect, and they saw the impact of years of test cricket, international cricket, not being instantly available. Eyeballs were not on it infamously we don't have to go down that road again but they saw the impact of that they saw the fact that eight percent of recreational numbers fell in one year and if you extrapolate those numbers out then it looks pretty grim for the popularity of the game they saw the fact that average county membership age groups are very high they saw all of that and they reacted the problem for me as ever with this is not necessarily the desire to to move and to act and too many organ. uh, regimes across English cricket have sat on their hands almost as a philosophy Uh, I think they had to move they had to do something to try and arrest those numbers I I have a lot of sympathy for that position the problem for me was the impact that that had on the true existing lovers of the game you ended up just chucking it back in their faces you ended up disenfranchising these people and that if if you could take the time back that's what they needed to do. They needed to articulate why a new tournament or a new movement needed to be created, and they never did it at the time,
3: and they'll never be able to get that moment back. And Harrison was never it was a good. Terrible misstep. At the and, time. and but I think that sums up Harrison in, in quite a few ways. He, he was never good at the message. Yeah. He, he might have been good in a boardroom, or, or there might be good evidence behind what what he believes, but actually he wasn't good at getting the message across. And we, well, I mean, we saw that kind of really exposed during the. As in Rafiq, testimony, painfully so. Uh, but and he was never very good with the media. Didn't speak to the media very often. When he did, it was these kind of bizarre word salads that never made much sense. There was a
0: sense of, of disdain as well, wasn't there? Yeah. Which which for a person who'd worked in effectively in, in communications and marketing was a peculiar position to take up. I thought. Anyway, we move on, and you know, one administrator replaces another. It will be fascinating to see who gets the gig, and also who becomes the chairman, right? You know, talk about a dysfunctioning organisation. They are slowly beginning to put these blocks back in place, but still right at the top of an organisation uh, which isn't known for its functionality. It'd be interesting to see who they, who they end up with. Claire Connor at the moment, who is excellent, very capable. She's doing it in an interim basis, probably for the rest of the summer, I would imagine. It was interesting to hear that they hadn't begun to even start looking for others yet, uh, other candidates they might have soft, softly sounded out one or two possibly but I think they've uh, they've employed an agency like a recruitment agency in effect to try and identify and maybe headhunt a few few options but it's going to be a longish process and it's a crucial crucial role and also that of the chairmanship as well mm.
1: over the weekend news broke of Andrew Simons passing at the age of just 46. Simon's played 238 times for Australia across formats. He was a two-time World Cup winner. He averaged over 100 with the bat across those two World Cup wins in 2003 and 2007. Averaged over 40 with the bat in Test cricket. Averaged 32 and struck at 147 in T20 cricket. And he took over 150 international wickets as well, as well as being uh, one of the one of the great fielders of his era. Mark, a stunning cricketer who you'd have played a lot against in, in county cricket. Yeah,
2: my, my mind, as soon as I heard, my mind went back to the, the first time first time I saw him, which would have been 95 when he was over here playing for Gloucester. Came over, he was 19, I think, maybe, or 21, I'm not sure. And he made a, I think he made a brilliant 100 against Surrey here and and the, the tavern was still open out the front, you know, the pub. So at the end of the game, I think he and he he was in there with a couple of gloucester players with the blazers on you know how, how it used to be in the old days and myself and adam holgate went and buttoned um, uh, andrew simons because obviously we'd heard that he had the you know the dual passport thing and went to go and sort of sound him out and say come on you know you not only do you want to come and play for us here at the oval but you want to play for england and he kind of nah you boys are You've got to be
3: joking!
2: I mean, <laughs> never going to come and play for this mob. Um, and there you know, there sort of began a, a sort of. I mean, I wouldn't wouldn't go as far as to say that it was a real uh, friendship or whatever, but there was a sort of a mutual sort of acknowledgement and respect between the two of us and and Adam as well. I mean, Adam and he were, were great friends when 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 Smokey moved back to Australia to Queensland. Um, and it's just like a completely larger than life, completely very intimidating actually, because big big man. He had sort of like shoulders like. They were like melons, you know. Like if you, if you ever try to pick a melon one-handed, it was kind of like was putting your hand on Andrew Symon's shoulders. Use these tiny, light little bats, you know, two pound five, two pound six or something. Hit it, it mi- yeah, yeah, little light things. Hit it, Miles. Unbelievable fielder, trained unbelievably hard, you know. Drank in the in the proper Australian tradition of, you know, of hoovering. Um, and was just a, you know just a, an incredible competitor. I mean, he played he played at, at the oval, didn't he? 2010, the year after I retired, came and played a bit of T20 down here, and, and instantly kind of you know he was absolutely fierce if he was on on the opposition side. But then he was like family the second he he was on your team. He's exactly the sort of bloke that you want. Um, more devastating news in the in the cricketing world right now. Mm.
1: Joe, you wrote a, a brilliant piece on Simon's on com a couple of years ago. You wrote that for a time, he was one of the most complete all-rounders in the world.
3: Yeah, he really was across all forms. Like obviously, he's known predominantly for his 50 over stuff and T20 towards the end. But for a little while there, he was a proper test player. And um, it was a stunning knock. Ash's knock, his first Test 100. And then his second Test 100 was... In the Sydney Test, where the racism allegations all came about, which was a really dark period for, well, for cricket in general, but for Australian cricket, Ponting's really interesting in this. About, in his book, says that um, Cricket Australia basically caved under pressure from from the BCCI, who threatened to go home based on the allegations, and, and they softened the allegations to kind of abuse rather than racist abuse and this all took Simons and and Ponting aback because they'd agreed that they were going to go they were going to push this they weren't going to relent and Ponting says that Simons after that never had much interest in playing for Australia said he was he ended up feeling guilty for the, the kind of the whole thing basically even so he'd been allegedly racially racially abused he ends up feeling guilty for it and Ponting said after that it just it never really fit after that and he wasn't really it's interesting Butch talks about him as a larger than life character in terms of knowing him one on one but Everything I've read, he didn't seem to like the limelight beyond that. He didn't seem to, li- he didn't really seem to like doing press particularly. Um, Adam Holyoke was really interested in that piece as well. I spoke to him and he said they basically hated each other. You might remember some of the feuds on the pitch. They at- always went at each other, hated because each other. Because they were other. the same. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was it. that is That was Adam's line. He said they ended up playing, I think, a t- Tom Moody testimon- testimonial game. They happened to be on the same side. And he was like, we realised we just absolutely loved each other. We were, we were, the, we were the same bloke. And then they're in, doing kind of wild pig hunting in Queensland a few years later. Um And and Holyoake was like, he, he said, look, you, you couldn't have four or five Andrew Simons in your side because that would just not be functional. But to have one, to have that rogue player, he would want one in his side every single time. And he would... Box office cricket has become one of those kind of lazy cliche terms, it's all over the IPL. But he genuinely was that completely unmissable in, in everything he did. Um, I saw a lot of him at Kent, um, when he was just stunning it and he was a game, whatever happened in a game, he would do something that would take you aback, whether it was a, a run out, a catch, or with the bat, there was just always something to watch out for him and and um Yeah, it's just another horrible, horrible moment for Australian cricket, which just seems to be getting, really going through the ring at the moment.
0: I I was at Melbourne for his Maiden 100 at, you know, 6. And it was also, I think it was that Test match. uh, Certainly that series when they wired him up to a running sensor, or whatever you'd call it, to measure how far he ran during a day in the field for Australia. And he ran 16 kilometres just, you know, in the covers. And then to mid wicket and getting the ball from the keeper between deliveries and yeah. so on. 16k, it just just in in one day, in the field. I mean, he was that kind of cricketer. He was watchable even when he's just getting a, getting the ball from second slip and getting it kind back to mid jumper. Yeah, amazing, amazing fielder, amazing fielder. And just very, very briefly, I know you're you're looking at your clock. No, I'm, I'm, not. I'm um, not. The one four, three made. I, think I was it's one, about four, to bring three. this up. Yeah. The one for three made. Uh, one of the great World Cup knocks. First game of Australia's. 0-3 campaign, I can't remember. Maybe Durban, can't remember anyway. Doesn't matter. Against Pakistan, they were ninety for four, and he came out and Ponting
3: had picked him, hadn't he? He'd said he has to be in my squad, yeah. And he had no record at that time, yeah. That's he it. S- he said he felt like a fraud to be picked in that squad because he was just pon- he was Ponting's pick. Yeah, no one else really wanted him in that squad, right. and, and he went out there one for three, um,
1: basically back with a tail as well, back with like- the
0: tail. And I'll they never get forget it, because i Wazim, was
1: watching it live. Wazim, Waka, Shwe, but maybe well, not all three of them. I can't remember but...
0: if Wazim was playing, but Waka certainly was, because in the final over, uh, 50th over of the game, Simon's 130, 140-odd, not out by this point. Waka bowled him a flat one, an arcing, in-swinging, flat one. And Simon sort of fell on the floor and got out of the way of it and sort of shrugged his shoulders. Come on, mate. You know what's coming next ball? Exactly the same thing. And then... Simons went for him and they had to be held back and I've always remembered that because there's always that question oh did, was it a, an accident sorry sorry batter I've slipped you know, it's just slipped out the hand Waka delivered two in two in the 50th over after you've been pummeled for 140 I'll never forget that moment
3: but what a knock you know and what an unbelievable entertainer of a cricketer just just one little thing on his breakthrough year in 95 so I think he scored pretty much 1500 championship runs in that season got them at a strike rate of 95 which no one has ever got a thousand runs at a higher strike rate in championship history. And he was doing this in 1995 uh, when most players in one day cricket had a strike rate about 75. It's just, and I think that sums up how far ahead of his time. I mean, if he was born, as I was saying earlier, five years later, he would have been potentially the Chris Gale of, of T20. You just bat him up the order and he has a hit. Whereas actually still in that time, you would you'd keep them in the middle order. That was the kind of the logical thing to do. But yeah, and he did have a he hit in IPL Century. He did have a taste of that, but it was much more towards first the end of his
0: career. First 100 in T20
3: here? I think Ian Harvey got that. He had the fastest 100 here. Oh, I think okay. it's
1: still... Still top five? Third or fourth, yeah. yeah.
3: Fourth in the... Yeah, which 30, is four, astonishing.
1: 400 or something like that, yeah. Um, yeah, an, an astonishing player. Next up, we'll round up the county championship and the first round of the Charlotte Edwards Cup. If you buy either a bottle of the Wisdom Limited Edition rye whiskey or the gift set, the bottle and an accompanying glass you'll get entry to a complimentary tasting session with Butch and the Oxford Artisan Distillery Head of Whiskey, Charlie Ecklin. The tasting will be over Zoom at 7pm on Thursday, July the night. Head to wisdom.com forward slash shop to purchase the whiskey and find out more about the tasting session. Elsewhere in the wisdom shop due to popular demand, the wisdom shops signed memorabilia range has grown recently We have sourced some extremely rare pieces featuring authentic autographs from Josh Butler, Sachin Tendulkar, Virat Kohli, Brian Lara and Shane Warne. Not only has the choice of product grown, the choice of payment method has too. You can now pay in three interest-free instalments with Klarna. Whether you are looking for a unique collector's item or the ultimate gift, this is a rare opportunity to own something truly special. Joe, what's your moment of the week? (laughs)
3: actually put it in those terms sounds slightly (laughs) ridiculous uh quite niche even for this podcast uh it's cricket balls it's juke balls following up from people listening last week phil was talking about in a recreational game played with the dukes ball that is being used in the county championship and talked about the fact there was almost no seam whatsoever on it uh scott borthwick durham captain came out last week and said the balls have been absolutely shocking uh, this year saying exactly the same things that Phil did, basically no seam uh, not doing anything whatsoever in terms of swing or seam this led to Dilip Jejodia, uh, who, whose company British Cricket Balls produces the juke balls and he insists that there is no change in specifications of the balls they are meant to be made to order as they were previously um, but it's just down to kind of use not use it error sorry make it error that he, he describes it as we do exactly the same the same procedures. Um cricket balls are made out of natural raw materials made by human uh, by human beings and describes it as it's like handwriting. So it's quite interesting that you think of we think of cricket balls as you know, we, we'll talk about balls in terms of one manufacturers are all exactly the same. Well, he's saying they're not at all. They're open to variations. And he's just saying there's a bad batch. There's a bad batch out there, which seems to be <laughs> leading to quite a lot of runs, quite a lot of draws. Um, but they're not everywhere. They're just in some places. So it's it's slightly mysterious. Um, and he says they're working on it, basically.
1: Well, you're right. There, there are a lot of draws in this round of fixtures as well. There was an extremely high-scoring game at Edgbaston between Northants and Warwickshire. Something like 1,100 runs for 10 across the whole game. The rain saved Kent against Surrey on the final day at Beckenham. Surrey created history by uh, registering the highest ever first-class score without any batter reaching three figures a mammoth 671 for nine pope folks and jamie overton all falling in the 90s the roses match was also a draw there was a double hundred for keaton jennings and a century for joe root uh, jimmy anderson bowled joe root with an absolute peach in the second innings john hotton tweeted out a video that the county championship put out which was every single ball that anderson bowled to root in the match uh, and it was quite interesting how straight he bowled at him and his kind of most balls were swinging in aimed at off stump with the odd one kind of hidden outside off stump Uh, Somerset pumped Gloucestershire in the other Division 1 derby another Tom Abel hundred there and as mentioned earlier in the pod there were eight wickets for Jack Leach the only Division 2 game that had a result was Durham's win over Glamorgan Matty Potts taking 11 in the game there Sam Robson and Hasib Hamid both tunned up in the draw between Knots and Middlesex at Lords Luke Fletcher scored 50s in both innings the second of which was opening the batting as a night watchman which was fun um, the Charlotte Edwards Cup kicked off this week there were wins for the Vipers the Sparks the Stars and the Diamonds Lauren Winfield Hill hit 96 in the Diamonds win uh, Izzy Wong opened the batting for the Sparks which is something to keep an eye on this summer and Maya Bouchier scored 48 not out of 33 in the win for the Vipers uh, what's your
0: moment of the week yes it's got to be Saturday afternoon, isn't
1: it? Oh, yeah, actually, it, it is It is Saturday afternoon. Um, my club side won by one wicket, chasing 222. And who, oh. who knocked off the and winning runs? And I hit runs. the winning runs. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, that, that's definitely <laughs> moment of the week. Took so, a, listen,
3: to, Yaz is doing a column for the for Wisdom Cricket Monthly, so mm. you can read all about it exactly. every every month <laughs> uh, Absolutely, now,
1: absolutely. <laughs> uh, took a four for as well with the ball, um, but all four wickets were burgled at the death. So, my first five overs <laughs> uh, were... Lovely. Five overs, uh, three maidens, none for four. That's a and classic, then, yeah, a spell then, to And then a comeback, up, and then second spell would have been five overs, four for 41. That's where you get your rewards, though, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. Beautiful. Um, top wicket-taker in the league, if you're wondering, after two weeks. <laughs> um, we've, we've heard a lot about the Fairbreak Invitational in the last couple of weeks. That tournament has come to an end. The Tornadoes won the final. Uh, Marizan Cap. Uh, had yet another star performance in the final. She scored 67 off 37, putting on 94 for the fifth wicket with Hong Kong's Mariko Hill. But she was on the losing side. It wasn't enough... Uh, for the win as a combination of New Zealand's Sophie Devine, Netherlands' Stair Callis, West Indies' Stefani Taylor and South Africa's Sune lu got the job done in the run chase after Thailand's Chanida Suturang was the pick of their bowlers, finishing with two for 19. So, amazing to see so many players from non-traditional cricketing powerhouses contribute at the business end of that competition. Um, the IPL group stage is nearly finished. Good you're at our top with a bunch of teams fighting over the last couple of playoff spots. Uh, we'll talk about that more next week's show when there's hopefully less to talk about. Will, Joe be, on the world. Will Joe be on that show? Um, probably no, not if we no, talk leave about the the IPL <laughs> out of this We'd have an IPL <laughs> special. Um, you've seen the news this week that Sakib Mahmood and Matt Fisher are expected to be out for the rest of the summer with um, both with stress fractures of the back. Why do so many bowlers, particularly young bowlers, get stress fractures? I spoke to Dr. Pete Alway, who has written a PhD on the risk factors behind stress fractures in young fast bowlers to try and understand what's going on. We're joined by Dr. Pete Orway, who has studied risk factors for stress fractures in elite fast bowlers. Thanks for joining us, Pete. First off, a hopefully simple question. Uh, what actually is a stress fracture?
4: Cool. Thanks, Jas. Yeah, so a, a, a stress fracture is is quite similar to a chip which you get on your windscreen in your car. So if you think of that little chip, To begin with, it's like nothing. And then as you keep driving on it, as you keep hitting potholes or um, speed bumps and stuff, that crack then gets longer and longer and longer until the uh, windscreen, in this case, fails. In the case of bone, it's like when the bone then starts to crack all the way through or to a significant length that um, that then needs to be stabilised.
1: Why do fast bowlers get them then? It's an injury we hear a lot about in cricket, perhaps not quite as much in, in other sports.
4: Sure, so... Lumbar stress fractures are common in all sports that have components of extension, uh, flexion, twisting, and uh, side flexion. All of which a fast bowler's lumbar spine has to go through. Fast bowling, in particular, is a uh, unique in the world of sport in, in terms of its of its action itself, and also just the number of times which the players have to do the same action. Like we know that in the England team, they. They typically bowl in matches between two or 3,000 times per, per year, which is comparable to what major league baseball pitchers do. It's an incredibly high high volume for such a high in, high intensity activity.
1: Um, and you've you studied this in great depth. What are the risk factors for stress fractures in fast bowlers?
4: Sure. So, so one of the, the challenges with stress fractures in fast bowlers is that there's not just one risk factor. And it's likely that each individual player will have a different risk different risk factor which has led to to their stress fracture. Um, The most obvious one, which I think most people look towards is uh, workload. We know that short-term workloads, so whether that's seven day, 28 day or 90 day workload, if those are excessively high or there's a a spike in them, that significantly significantly increases the risk of a player sustaining a stress fracture in the next uh, three to six weeks. Technique is uh, another big one as well. Um, we can we can generally predict around 88% of all future stress fractures from um, a person's technique. So players who have a lot of hip flexion at back foot contact, so if you think that the knee is in front of the pelvis at back foot contact, and as well as uh, lumbar spine extension at front foot contact, those are the two big red flags when it comes to stress fracture in fast boulders. Aside from those, then there's the, the more... Um, rarer types of uh, reasons why players get stress fractures. So they might have low bone mineral density. Um, they might have, you know, a a a genetic predisposition to to get stress fractures. So, um, for example, in your lumbar spine, there's uh, a ratio of cortical to um, trabecular bone, and each of those bone properties has different um, mechanical uh, strengths. If the ratio of that is off because of some um, uh, some genetic reasons that means that they're, that they're more likely to get stress fractures. So there are stress fractures which are preventable but then there are others where that there's factors which are beyond the individual's uh, control.
1: Hmm. Uh, Workloads is is quite interesting that you mentioned there. There are lots of theories on Twitter about the impact of bowling workloads just today. There's a Twitter thread from uh, TMS statistician Andrew Sampson comparing the number of overs bowled between the ages of 20 and 24, between Anderson and Broad, them being much, much higher than Fisher and are two people who've recently suffered from stress fractures. Young bowlers don't bowl as many overs as they used to, and people are saying that's why they're breaking down. Is is there any truth in that at all? I mean...
4: it's difficult to to pinpoint. Um, I think, firstly, what you have in uh, Jimmy and Brodie is you have two players who have had um, a a remarkable um, career in terms of the, the injuries that they've had. That they've been very few and uh, far between. Like you're know, like with Jimmy, uh, aside from his stress fracture, he's you know, been blessed with a career where there's been very few stress fractures. Whereas most of fast bowlers, which you see, particularly those in that list, you know they're players who have had a few injuries, which of course then limits their appearances. Um, there's research out there that suggests until a player's bowled 1200 overs in matches that it's unlikely that they're going to be um, resilient to stress fractures. So you've got a, a group of players here coming through extremely talented but haven't still reached that threshold of overs yet, which is is protective to stress fracture.
1: Hmm. So that's quite interesting. so the that that threshold is, is is that like a built up community build up of strength, really? Is that is that what it is?
4: Yeah. So uh, some of our research here when we've looked at the bone meal density factors um, in in fast bowlers, we find that it's not until around age age 24, 25 that that the that the spine has actually fully adapted to fast bowling. So we find that before this day, the bone itself is weaker, likely a result of um, bowling less overs. So there's likely a, a correlation there between getting uh, getting to that 1,200 over mark to optimise bone adaptation, and and that seems to reduce the risk of getting stress fractures.
1: There's a sense that modern bowlers are suffering from them more than their predecessors. Is this true? Uh, if so, why is this the case, or is it that with your analogy earlier, are they just getting caught earlier?
4: Sure, I, I think. It's a valid question and it's one which we don't know for sure um one of the things which we do now of course is is we screen players a lot more and we're much more likely to send players for um scans when they feel um lower back pain you know like back in the day having a bit of lower back pain was probably seen as a badge of honor to to fastball us and they bowled through the pain a lot um one of the factors which we have now compared to back in the day as well is there's just the amount of cricket being played is a lot more so i think compared to like the 1970s and the 1980s, players now have 10 to 30% more matches in a year. Um, so the frequency of games is huge. So players are getting much less rest than, than previous. So again, just adding to the multitude of factors, which is why we might be seeing more stress fractures these mm-hmm. days.
1: Uh, yeah, c- again, comparing areas, what, what happens if uh, they aren't caught early? That's the best
4: case um, scenario. So if we catch it at what we would term a bone stress, Stage or a hot spot um, as you might see that's great you know that's only you know, four to six weeks out and to just let that um, hot spot settle down um, if you catch them later so it, it may be that they're caught at an incomplete stress fracture point that's then a, um, a longer time period if it's caught even later on so it's a um, complete stress fracture well then that's you know even longer out and then worst case um, scenario we see bilateral, multi-level um, stress fractures. And that's when we're looking at your uh, surgical options or even retirement from the game. So mm. it's a real continuum of injuries.
1: And, and does gym work help combat the risk of getting a stress fracture? I spoke to one bowler last week who uh, had a stress fracture as a youngster and he, and he attributed gym work to his excellent recent fitness record.
4: Absolutely. So this is... The current focus of our current research, uh, we're trying to explore physical factors uh, related to stress fracture and um, anecdotally, it does seem like there's a few physical tests um, that might decrease the risk of of, um, someone getting getting stress fracture. So, I mean, unsurprisingly, uh, it's typically the ones around um, back extensor, endurance, and then all around the abdominals as well, like planks, et cetera, side planks, stuff like that. So yeah, again, it's just the weird fast bowling specific um, stuff, which you might not see in a typical gym.
1: And how, how debilitating is it in the long term? Is it something that bowlers, when they recover from it, are they back to 100% straight away? Or is, is it a case for, for some fast bowlers if the stress fracture is caught later, they might never be able to return to the, the speeds they once used to be able to hit?
4: I think this varies a lot um, between players. Like If you look at someone at the moment like Matthew Potts, like he's had a couple of stress fractures um, in in his career. And if you look at him now, I mean, he's absolutely flying. Um, then yeah, there's always exceptions to that. There are players who, after getting a stress fracture, their um, performance does decrease. Um, but within a couple of, of injury-free years, you would expect them to be like. There's no reason that they wouldn't be back to playing at their best. By by 24, the fast bowler should have enough bone strength built up from the um, repetitive nature of fast bowling um, to have then have the um, resilience to resist. The forces which accumulate on the spine so they basically have a much bigger ceiling to um to withstand much bigger workloads so hopefully you know they can avoid getting stress fractures um, i think you know there's something to be said for the the peculiarities of cricket and the fact is that you know how many sports are there do you turn up on the first day and half the well and the whole team doesn't know what they're going to do how do you how can you perhaps someone to bowl say 40 overs in an in innings, or zero. It's, you know, one of the very intriguing and and challenging factors of being in cricket.
1: Thanks a lot, Pete. That was fascinating. And thanks a lot for your time. It's really good having you on. And finally, there's a new Wizarding Cricket Monthly out this week. Joe, what's in it? Um, we've got the coronation
3: of Ben Stokes on the cover. Uh, Phil's written a piece on the... What well, the next instalment in the Ben Stokes epic, I think, is how we uh, how we pitched it. Um, John Stern's written a kind of accompanying piece of sorts uh, about Rob Key's step up to the MD role, um, and then probably the most fun bit, I think, is the the next Fab Four that we we picked out. So, not that we need to really make this point very <laughs> clearly, we are not writing off the current Fab Four, but they are all reaching a point in their careers where you do wonder who's coming through next. So we picked out four players, um, one of which is minus Labershain. Phil interviewed him, as, as, as we talked about last week. Uh, and then there's profiles on the other three. Um, are we going to talk about now, or should we just leave
1: people I mean, to... I
2: uh, is there any reason why there can only be four of them, or is it just the alliteration? Purely alliteration,
0: <laughs>
1: hmm.
2: which
0: <laughs>
1: You could have the Fab Five. It's neat.
0: We, we did one of that, actually, because it felt like a kind of... You it know, was more a, just a because, it, three.
3: More because it was a continuation of what had happened before. But yeah, a
0: titillating tree. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> um, elsewhere, we've got um, a pretty mind, m- mind-blowing um, <laughs> interview with Chris Gale by, by Jim Wallace. Oh, I'm golly. not really going to talk about it because it's a bit hard to describe, but it was um, entertaining.
0: Uh, and it finishes with um, Gale asking Jim for a tenor yeah. as well. Uh, which, which is a nice touch. I it's quite,
1: quite revealing of Gale, I guess. Yeah. We'll G- in f- good and bad ways. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd just say, have a read of it. Um, Joe jo Harmon seated to my right here. Writes about when England really were the worst side in the world. Uh, 23 years ago, Mark. Is that right? I think there's a yeah, bit of picture here. of Butch in the opening spread. <laughs> here? Oh, that's, that's nice, that, isn't it?
2: That's nice. Consider I captained in one of those games.
0: One
2: of the ones we didn't lose, funnily enough.
0: Your, your quotes, as ever, really
3: do bring it to life. Mark. Oh, I'm not just saying
2: well, don't, don't ruin the, uh, the suspense.
3: We couldn't find a picture of NASA looking miserable in that series, weirdly. But we what, could. what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> weirdly, we could find one of you. Um so yeah so that's there's plenty of voices in there including Butch himself from a podcast of about a year ago um, so thanks for that no, Butch. No that's alright thanks for right. your assistance. As,
2: as, as, as is doing some, some shameless self-promotion can I yeah, yeah go yeah, for yeah. it I mean you know obviously the, the composer of the uh, of the podcast um, musical intro and outro I presume you still put that on right yeah it's just,
1: just the outro just so the you, outro if you, oh well, no, you missed the drama clearly he doesn't get to the end well no you missed the draw. or the start we had <laughs> <laughs> So we had <laughs> so for our end of year show uh, in 2021 we had loads of questions about what happened to Felix's music so we had to we thought oh, to come back in Felix's stuff but well, okay but I've
2: got a, but, so I've got a show tomorrow night at uh, the Troubadour in West London on West uh, West Brompton Road
3: Tomorrow night is Thursday just so tomorrow yeah, night Thursday. Is Thursday. So this is going out to, this is going out tonight, tonight
2: isn't it? Yeah. yeah okay so so tomorrow Thursday the 19th.
1: Hmm. Do people just turn up? or is there Yeah, a, yeah. I think might turn
2: up, get some of the, the few uh, spots left, so
1: please come down. Anything else in the magazine you want to talk about?
3: <laughs> what else happened in the magazine, Phil?
1: Count- <laughs> County Files? County Files? Well,
3: yeah, you know, as ever, uh, 15 pages
0: of, of County Files interviews with all kinds. Your Matty Potts interview makes the cut. I interview John Stevenson, new CEO at Essex, who's got quite a lot on his plate. Uh, Keith you- Barker. Sorry? Keith Barker. Keith Barker, you interviewed... And him his brush with the UEFA Cup. I
1: didn't know that he was so close to playing for Blackburn. I knew he played professional football, but I didn't know it was... Yeah.
3: Yeah, he played England under-19s and yeah, was on the bench for a UEFA Cup tie, carrying a bit of a hamstring niggle and got asked whether he wanted to come on and was a bit hesitant and then missed his chance. Then his career was done a few years later. Uh, but he talks about playing alongside people like Benny McCarthy and, and Two guys, pretty cool, but obviously he's, he's done, done pretty well for himself right up there in the Div 1 leading wicket-taking yeah. chance again.
0: Uh, interesting interview with Reese Topley as well uh, who started the season well for Surrey basically saying that he was done he was done with the game two or three years back uh, injuries almost finished him off completely uh, from the game but he's now back play- playing really well uh, Anya Shrubsole's retirement she sat down with Isha Guha for a Q&A uh, for the magazine as well columnist as well
3: Mark Ramprakash's second column for us is about captain C kind of Ben Stokes' appointment being the jumping off point, but talking about some of the captains he played under and basically says he was a terrible captain himself in pretty much those words uh, and reflects on on why that was and what makes a good captain. It's an interesting read.
0: Ben Jones writes uh, very well on Joss Butler's phenomenal form in the IPL. Uh, and Lawrence Booth writes about getting rinsed by Mark Butcher on the podcast a couple of weeks <laughs> ago so everyone's, everyone's happy all the fun of the fair full,
1: full, <laughs> coming, coming around full circle anyway uh, as always you can get the magazine at wisdom.com forward slash shop anyway that's all for today's show cheers Phil cheers Joe cheers Butch this has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast thanks for listening we'll be back next week
2: Podcast Network.